Well, remember, it was supposed to be the perfect day. Uh, Almost all wedding days start out that way uh, when you plan for them. We even have a a TV series now dedicated to to, uh, uh, buying a wedding dress, saying yes to the dress, and we really make a lot of fanfare about that now. But July 12, 1997 was supposed to be that perfect day that Allison and I, mostly Allison, uh, planned, uh, had planned for, to be completely honest. But here's a peek into our seemingly perfect wedding day. It'll be 25 years this July. On that way to church that morning, day of the wedding, the, the florist crashed the van. Okay? Not good. Now, in the escape vehicle after the reception, uh, for some reason, we were baffled as to why someone would take diapers all over my car. We get it, but, but diapers? Um, at our reception, we somehow got separated. You know, you're supposed to stay together as the new husband and wife, and I don't know. We just got separated, and we caught, caught up in just a moment, and people want to see us, that kind of thing. Uh, I still haven't figured that one out. The DJ at the wedding reception got the music wrong. Uh, hadn't figured that one out. He wanted, you know, he danced with mom or danced with Allison, that kind of thing. It just, it just did not work. Uh, and on, on the way, we had a limo ready to go. Dad got a limo for us. And uh, our driver couldn't find his way to the Charlotte airport from Gastonia, much less a paper bag. Uh, but... Leave it to Allison again, save the day. She gave him directions. We didn't have GPS back then, but Allison, man, she gave him directions to the airport. Go, Allison. Uh, Just before our honeymoon, Allison left her hair dryer. You know, that's kind of, we're getting started in life. I get that. Uh, So her mom and dad brought the hair dryer to the airport. You know, God bless them for doing that. Um, Oh, and by the way, uh, there just so happened to be a monsoon hit the Bahamas the week we had our honeymoon. Uh, and it flooded most of the roads that week. You know, hey, we, we tried to save a buck there in the Bahamas and go get fast food and, in a cab, and we discovered that while the, the cab waited outside for us, we happily got our food, maybe a Happy Meal, no idea. But the cab fare we paid for could have paid for a nice meal out that night. It was a big tab. Uh, you know, it was supposed to be the perfect day, the perfect start to marital bliss, uh, but it just seemed that way. It just seemed that way. Today we live in almost a, a dreamlike world. We have things that are automated. We have artificial intelligence. We have computers that will literally complete your thoughts for you as you type. We have cars that will now almost drive for you. Some of you have the lane assist, like, get in the lane, you just crossed over. You know, you have that kind of thing. Uh, Okay, we have uh, automatic coffee makers that we wake up to the smell of fresh coffee. We have alarm clocks that beep to make sure, phones that make sure we get up on time. We have ways to keep our money safe in banks as opposed to burying it in the ground. Uh, We have the convenience of buying our food at almost as much as as we want to buy uh, what we need. We have medical advances, thankfully, that have allowed us to detect illness Uh, in time for us to find a way to be rid of the illness or disease. If we'll just follow these steps, take this treatment or take take this medicine. 
We have air conditioners to keep us cool and, and heaters to keep us warm. We have materials and building supplies now that can withstand the strongest of storms. About 100 years ago, much of this was unheard of. Now for us, it's just an everyday thing. We're used to it. It's, it's part of the American dream, right? Uh, do hard work and, and be independent and make your own way in life and you'll go far. In fact, you'll have the perfect life, it seems. But it just seems that way. I want to say to all of us that these things can be good and they can be used as a blessing in one's life. But if we're not careful, we'll miss the forest for the trees, so to speak, in taking all of this in. This is not all there is, church. It's not. There is in some ways, this in some ways is part of the perfect lie that Satan has foisted upon God's creation since the Garden of Eden. At one point in history, life really was perfect. We can say that. At one point in history, life really was perfect. But that time in history is gone. Only to be seen again, if we we're honest, until Jesus returns, comes back for us, or if God takes us home before then. Allow me to show you the moment where things changed for us all. Where the perfect became imperfect. The eternal became temporary. And the truth of God was exchanged for a lie. Genesis 3, 1 through 5 says this. Now the serpent was, more, was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He, the serpent, said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Well, the woman said to the serpent, well, We may eat the fruit that, uh, from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat of it or touch it or you will die. What does he say in verse 4? No, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, there are two lies that I see immediately that we should all point out. Two lies. The first lie is this. One is in verse 4 where the serpent tells Eve, you will not surely die. Okay. God had told Adam and her that they would indeed die. So this is a direct contradiction of God's truth. He says, you will, uh, you will certainly not die. It's the lie. Satan wants nothing more than to turn us against the truth of God's word. And he won't, he won't do it so abruptly that we notice. You see, he'll mix in a little lie and a partial truth. Uh, and the partial truth is that they, would, uh, they perhaps wouldn't die right there, but they would die and not live forever. And that is a far greater tragedy. But Satan hid that from Eve. The perfect life, was still a, perfect life was still available to her, so it seems. And Adam, the fruit was actually hers for the taking. All she had to do was just reach out and grab it. If she disobeyed God, this was the perfect lie that Satan got her to believe. The second lie is this. Satan told her uh, that she would be like God. He states it right there in verse 5. You will be like God. He says, you'll be like God. And who doesn't want to be like God, right? What, what, what a goal. What a, what a label. I'm like God. 
See, the partial truth was, yes, they would know good and evil, but she could never be like God. The lie she believed was that she, be, she could become like God in her own strength. It, it, by her own effort, she could take the fruit, carpe diem, seize the day. It's all yours to do. The dream is yours. It's just yours for the taking. But the truth was that God is unmatched. God is unmatched. No one is like God. How can a mere human being be like God? God would one day make that a reality as well when he sent his only son, God, Jesus Christ in the flesh, to die for sinful men. God takes the hopeless situation of man and he turns it around for his glory. And because he has, he does it because he has such great love for you and I, his creation. He, you could just see God's heart breaking when Eve made that choice. And when Adam, what did Adam do? Adam blamed it on Eve. Well, it was her fault. It wasn't any better. No, he should have been the man. He should have stood up and led and said, you know what? I shouldn't have taken it. I should have led her, I should have led her better. I didn't, but he didn't do that. You see, Satan didn't realize that when there was seemingly no way out for Adam and Eve, God was already making a way. God was already making a way. But see how easy it was for Satan to turn the perfect life into the perfect lie. Now all we do is we pursue the perfect life. Uh, But no one is perfect except for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Today, I want you to see that you can get off the merry-go-round of trying to figure out how to be perfect. You say, well, uh, I don't try to be perfect, Pastor. I, I just get by. Okay. If you'll peer deeper into your life, you're going to see that the perfect lie, the perfect life lie is all around you. It's all around us. And I would say that believing it leads to much of our frustration and angst in this life. If we could break free from the burden of trying to make it all work out or trying to please everyone or trying to be happy when there's a storm brewing inside of us that nobody knows about that keeps us up at night, we can break free from the perfect lie of the perfect life. And I want to point out five lies that we uh, tell ourselves that often contribute to falsely pursuing the ideal perfect life. We think life should be fair. We think life should be easy. We think life is supposed to be full of loving people. Or we think life is supposed to be long. Here's the first lie we tell ourselves. Life is supposed to be fair all the time. You'll not find in Scripture anywhere that life is fair. You won't find that. Can life be fair all the time this side of heaven? No, it can't. The truth, it cannot be. Life cannot be fair this side of heaven. Why? It's because of the condition of man's heart. Man's heart disobeys God and therefore doesn't act justly as he should do. Yes, God wants us to act fairly, but it's not always the case. In Micah 6, 8, we see that the Lord requires justice of us. Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. So what does God require of us? To act justly, true justice. To love faithfulness. Another translation says mercy. 
and to walk humbly with your God. If we are to act justly, why then do criminals get off scot-free, it seems, when they commit crimes after crime after crime? Well, it's because those who have made the law or administer justice in this way are not obeying God as they are called to do if they love God. Well, can't everyone just be equal in every way? Can we just not just level the playing field as modern times would have you think that that's a great value to live by? You see, God has made us all unique. He's made each one of you different. He sure has. He's not made us equal for that very reason. He's gifted athletes with their ability. He's gifted carpenters and bankers and lawyers with their ability. If everyone were equal in that sense, it wouldn't be true justice or fairness. To be fair, we need to understand the word fairness. To be fair is to be guided by truth, reason, and justice. Although we can't always see fairness happen around us, we can seek to make others' lives a little easier by being obedient to God. In his word, ourselves by acting justly, loving faithfulness and mercy, and walking humbly with our God. That's how we live out fairness in a world where life is not fair. Another lie we believe is that life is supposed to be easy. You see, it's easier for the West to fall into this trap because of all the conveniences that we have. We talked about it earlier. their own their their only convenience is and actually play into the myth of an easy life convenience has allowed us to be on easy street most of us don't know what it's like to go without a meal but can i say our great grandparents did they went through the great depression it was hard times they, they lived differently after going uh without for so long they saved everything. They saved a, a piece of paper, a, a, a thread, or anything because they didn't, they didn't know. They didn't want to go through life like that again without, without stuff, without things. I know things aren't everything, but it was hard. This can cause huge stress and anxiety in our lives. When, when, when life isn't easy, we wonder why. Why is life not easy? And we lose sleep at night, and we fret and we think, and our minds just race, and we think about something insignificant. Or maybe, maybe significant, maybe important. God, this isn't the marriage that I signed up for. Why is my marriage like this? Why won't they change? This is hard work. God, I didn't think my work would be, would be this hard. And because we have this myth of at least sometimes things need to be easy, then when it's not, we stress out, or even worse. We break. We break. Matthew 6, 27 to 34 says it this way. Can any of you add one moment, everybody say the word moment, moment. to his life span by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spend thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown to the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more? Say the phrase, much more. Much more for you. You have little faith. Oh, I love the much more that God gives us. I love the much more. God has the much more for you, waiting for you in your life. But we still worry. 
He says, so don't worry saying, well, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? Or insert your phrase or the moment. The moment that you're worrying, insert that phrase into verse 31. For the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows your need. Can I just say that? He knows what you need. He knows the moment that you're in. He knows, he knows you need encouragement. He knows you need relief from your pain. He knows you need, uh, he, he knows you need peace in your life. He knows, you need, um, he knows you need the bills paid. He knows you need uh, stress relief at work. He knows you need your kids to be in line. He knows you need uh, dreams to be fulfilled. God knows your need. Do we know that he knows? Do we know that? Then he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Here's where we take a deep breath. We go, and all these things will be provided for you. When we seek God first, he takes care of the rest. It's that, it's that, it's that simple. It's that, it's that easy. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. How can a day worry? Well, it, it, it can. It's insignificant. It's, it's not going to happen. Tomorrow's going to worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, stay in the moment. I'm with you in the moment. No matter what that moment may bring, stay in the moment. In our anxiety small group, we have a test for whenever we face anxiety. And that test is this. We say, whatever you're anxious about, think this way. Will this matter one year from now? Whatever you're stressing about right now, will it, really, will it really, really matter one year from now? Will worrying about it change things one year from now? If there's no point in fretting about it now, Jesus says the same thing. We can't add one moment, we said the word, to our life. We can't add one moment by worrying about why life isn't so easy, my translation or why we don't have the right kind of clothing. We must do what? We must seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Life's not easy. Seek first his kingdom, and let God take care of the rest. Give it to God. We say it like that. Let God take care of the rest. Sounds much easier, doesn't it, than worrying about it. Another lie we believe about the perfect life is this. Life is supposed to be full of loving people. John 15, 12 says it like this. John, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Here we have the command from Jesus. Beloved believers, you are to love one another. This is the standard Jesus has set for us. We are to be loving towards each other. Well, why then aren't there people that are more loving? What's going on there? Well, that person's supposed to be a Christian. Well, why aren't they loving me right now? I don't, I don't get this. One of the scars of the church, the deep, terrible scars of the church, and I believe it does even more damage than an unbeliever living a life contrary to God, is when a believer doesn't live like a believer. That damage, here's what it does. It damages the seekers. It damages those who are thinking about going to that church. Oh, I might go to that church. Oh, wait a minute. Don't you go to that church? And didn't you just... What did you just do? It doesn't compute. That damages them. 
They may be close to coming to faith and, and the actions of, of, of some believers can turn that away. And the person is supposed to be living a godly Christian life. They can really uh, mess up and live contrary to what a Christian should be. Even worse, they do, they do something to damage the trust of those that they were responsible for, those that were, uh, you know, they were to lead and disciple. And they break that trust within the church. And I'm sure you know the news is littered with the stories of accounts where trust was broken. I see it so much as a pastor. I do. Story after story of how someone used to be in the church and is no longer in the church. They've, they've been hurt by the church, but they've been hurt by so-and-so. Maybe they've been hurt by a pastor in the church. Or leadership in the church, deacons, Sunday school teachers, just on and on and on, you know. Now, I'm not judging. Maybe I am. Did you know it's okay to judge? We, we say sometimes, we throw this out there, uh, when we're on the receiving end of, of judgment, if you will, what do we say? Judge not lest you be judged. I'll give you that. We get it twisted sometimes, and we quote that, but we forget what Jesus said in John 7, 24 when he states this. He says, stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge, say the word judge, according to righteous judgment. There it is right there. We can judge, but according to not our standard. We judge by our standard, we're going to fail every time. We're going to be that self-righteous person that they see. But if we judge according to Christ's standard, according to righteous judgment, we can see past the appearance of someone's godliness, and we can hold up the word of God and expose the lie. I'm just one beggar leading another beggar to bread. Don't, don't get this wrong. Don't hear me. I'm not pushing this to condemn. I'm saying, church, we need to have, have God needs to do business with us before anything People are going to let you down. They're not going to live up to the standard that you set up. Your spouse will let you down. Your kids will let you down. Your boss will let you down. Your coworkers will let you down. But don't give up. Don't give up loving them. There's hope, yes, that they can love again. That's, there's hope there. That's why we continue to love. You be the example of love and godliness to those around you. You go the extra mile. And love without returning one or returning the favor. Hey, I, uh, I'm going to love you regardless of, of how you treat me. You know, if you love somebody, it's a free gift, right? If a free gift is a free gift. It's not, I, I give you something, and oh, here's, here's some money for that free gift. That's why it's kind of awkward when somebody gives you a gift, and then you want to pay for something. It's just really awkward there, because that's what a gift is. A gift is not, uh, there's no expectation for you to, be, to pay that person back. One example of selfless love I'll share, and there are many people who love unconditionally with sacrificial love. Uh, Allison and I often visited uh, Juanita Christensen in her home. And Allison reminded me last night uh, that almost every time, uh, and even times when Allison was just there, that Juanita would say, she would say, would you like for me to fix you something to nibble on? And that was just the way she said it. And she was always thinking of how to bless Others, that's love. That's genuine love. Yes, there are loving people in the world. There are. There can be more, and it starts with us. It starts with God's family. You be the reason, hear me out, you be the reason someone comes to church. 
I like what God's doing in your life. I want more of what you have. Where, where, where are you getting this from? Who? Show me. Show me this God of yours. Your life's not messed up. Your, your life is it's not together, but you seem to be okay. Who is this God that you serve? You be the reason someone comes to church. Finally, we believe the lie that life is supposed to be long. James 4, 13 through 15 says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. One of the hardest things to do as a pastor, and I'm sure you agree, is to attend at the funeral of a, a young person. Uh, it is, is gut-wrenchingly hard to do. It's so untimely. It's, it seems unfair. It doesn't seem fair like it's supposed to happen in this way. Beloved, it's not. It's not supposed to happen this way. I heard two stories recently. A, a missionary in Africa, she's middle-aged. She was just diagnosed with, with terminal cancer, and she's, she's served God with all her life. She's got terminal cancer. She's middle-aged. We've been praying for a middle-aged pastor's wife who's uh, she's in, the, she's in the prime of life, and she's fighting cancer. She's in Tennessee. We think this should not be. And you're right. It shouldn't be. You see, this family is the sting of death. Death hurts. It still hurts this side of heaven. Why is it that we hear, when we, we hear stories of folks that are so close to retirement or, or just into it that get sick or, or, or pass away? Wait a minute. They, they worked all their lives and that shouldn't be. This is the sting of death. Yes, God's original plan was that we live forever. And one day, he's going to restore that plan to his creation. But until that day, we're going to see that we are perfected in our, weak, our weakened state. Our weakness. We just admit that we're weak and we're broken and we're, we're sinful, if we can say it like that. 2 Corinthians 7, 12, 7 through 10 states it like this. Paul talks about a weakness that he had. A thorn in the flesh, and some might even some would even argue that it was it was uh, an, an eye issue or something like that. Uh, it just dogged him, and he said, uh, "This is his, his reaction to the struggle, to the suffering that he had." He said, "Especially because of the extraordinary revelations, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself." Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses. Because why? So that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties. Can we be like Paul and say, I take pleasure in difficulties? That's just so antithetical to how we live the perfect life. That's not the perfect life to say, I take pleasure in difficulties. Now, he's not saying, you know, don't deny that you're going through struggle. Admit the struggle. 
but also admit the power of Christ that can be at work in your life. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What is your weakness? What is it about your life that causes pain or strife or struggle or difficulty? God says in his word that when we are weak, he, he is strong. We are strong. Why? Because Christ's power resides in us if we believe in him. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because it's for the sake of Christ. It's the reverse of the perfect lie that Eve believed that she could take matters into her own hands and live life her own way. Yep, I've got it all planned out. Here's my life. Here's how it's going to be. And yes, God wants us to plan things out. But we're not given tomorrow, church. So we live in the moment, each moment that God's given us, in, in his strength and his power. The apostle Paul learned this. He learned that in his weakness, Christ's strength was made perfect. So no matter what you're going through, if you've just come through a storm, and I know some of you have, we're about to go through one. I don't want anybody to go through a storm in life. I wouldn't, wouldn't wish that on anybody. But I know that struggles come. Be comforted in knowing that Jesus is right there ready to give you his strength. He is. He's right there ready to substitute his perfect life for your imperfect one. His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. Sometimes, church, we need to rest in the, the all-sufficient grace of a mighty, loving, and all-powerful God. You seek God's kingdom first, and he's going to take care of the rest. Don't believe the lie that says life has to be perfect. That's going to happen when we get to heaven. Leave the rest up to Jesus. You rest in the all-sufficient grace of Jesus moment by moment. Let the struggles come. Let the difficulties come, but you walk forward in faith and godliness and love and let others, sounds so simple, right? Let others see Jesus in you and you transform the world that way. You give me 10 people who are passionate and on fire about Jesus and we'll go change the world. Jesus did it with 12. Let's go change the world. One moment at a time, even in our weakness. And there are those around you. You don't have to go to Moldova. You don't have to go to Nigeria. It's cool to send goats to, to Nigeria. I think that's so awesome. Start where you are. Who has God placed in your sphere of influence? Your neighbors, your friends, your family. You know, family is the hardest people to reach sometimes because they see your, your struggles. How are you dealing with your struggles? Be Jesus to them first. That's your mission field right there. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now, we ask um, for forgiveness, for being in the race that most are in and pursuing the, the perfect dream, when reality, uh, the reality is much more tarnished this side of heaven, Lord. We cannot be perfect without you, Jesus. John 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Those were your words, Jesus. So may we rest in your all-sufficient grace to us. When we fail you, you give us grace. You pick us up. You give us grace through the struggle, grace through the storm. 
Your word says that you are mindful that we are but dust. Lord, you're mindful that we are broken this side of heaven. Thank you for your grace. Allow us to walk forward in your strength, in your power, to not to reach out on our own, God, but allow you to take us in your embrace. When we face struggles and difficulties and challenges and stress and anxiety and lose sleep and all these things, if we'll just seek your kingdom first and give it to you, you'll take care of the rest. We trust in you, Lord Jesus, this day. We're declaring it now. That there are people who are loving and kind and can show mercy and justice. And that's us. Let it start with us to show that to the world, that change is real, Jesus is real, and it, it is happening in the church. Let us be the reason that people want to come to church because of you are the reason in us, Jesus. Let them see Jesus in us, God. God, you do your work, to, you will do your work today. Maybe there are those who need to respond. I'll be down front. They can respond, pray, respond to you, Lord. This altar is open for prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for your work of grace in our lives. We don't have to be perfect, Lord. But we do have to walk in faith and repentance towards you because we know that you love us and you want change in our lives and you empower us to live changed lives. There is a difference for the people who are at Winton Baptist Church, and that difference is Jesus. Thank you, God, for what you're doing at our church. We ask these things in your name. Amen.